I've been praying for you. And we really had a 21 days of prayer. We have been praying for you guys. I, had, I was up here Thursday, gave a devotion, and we had a, a platform full of cards, stacks of cards, and I just grabbed that one of them, the kids, and just happened to grab the one that my, my son's prayer was on. So, man, I just, oh, it's so sweet. And I grabbed another one with adults, and man, I just, I just love be able to pray for you guys, but also I, I can literally picture just a room full of people in here with us praying and needing prayer, and, and I love that. I think it's so important for us to not only just fill out prayer cards, but come come forward for prayer. I think there's something that says, I trust God to meet my most intimate detailed needs when I come forward to a brother or sister, whether it's for agreement or for a need, for prayer of any kind. And supernaturally and spiritually, by principle, God shows up, and it actually allows him to do the work of the need that you actually have. See how it works? See, God is very spiritual in nature, and he's speaking to his principles, and we can trust his principles as well. So I'm going to give you a lot of simple principle things today in the message, but I do want to encourage you to, as my wife is saying, find a tribe, get plugged into a tribe, because tribes change Tribes changed lives. It, they changed mine. I, it was a place where coming out of the lifestyle that I had, uh, needing a place of healing and freedom and, and just relationships, community with people that are going in a direction I knew I needed to go, just didn't know how to get there. And that's where most, most of the body of Christ is. Like, I know if you follow Christ, I just don't know what that looks like. And so small groups really help support and provide that because it's a place for you to take off that mask, take off that religion a little bit, and get real. And realize and help people that you know truly confess I'm not as perfect as I ought to be, and I am. I'm, 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 but I'm, I want to. I want to grow. So for me, whenever I was in Austin, uh, I literally found that that helped me to realize that people aren't just going to go and spread all my junk. They really, they're not even there to fix it. They're just there to listen and do life with. And the reality is, you're all doing. You're all in a small group with somebody or some group or some bodies. Problem is, they're not trying to see Christ. And so it's not going to be a good ending. The five people you hang out with the most or you're around or you communicate with the most, that's who you're going to look like in the next five years. So think about it. Joe, Jimmy, Jim Bob, Craig, and Johnny. Is that who you want to look like? Think about it. If not, do it a trial. Find some friends. All right. <laughs> so we've been talking about, I'll get this mic back out. We've been talking about free to be family. <laughs> And that's not only in the confines of your family and your house, because sometimes that's daunting, but it's also in the family of the body of Christ. Family and church. How, am I really free to be who, I, who I've been, who I've been called to be, and who actually God has created me to be? Because the reality is we all have this false self and this true self. And we're on the discovery of discovering who we really are. problem is we, we have created this false self since we were children. These false, this false self that we have created is, is easily offended, it's very defensive, it's upset, it's proud, it's arrogant, it's selfish, it's, you know, you fill in the blank, it's, it's created by a bunch of defense mechanisms that were, that you created, you chose, but I believe from the enemy that of our soul during a negative event, some traumatic event of life or life's happenings, you're no, you had no choice at some, at some point. But your mind starts to create a reality that's not true all 
real self that actually can be able to be in a family in a healthy manner. It's that real self that it can actually be free to be family. It's that real self that has less conflict, less, less problems, and less issues, less struggles, less trials because he's been redeemed. She's been redeemed to have and walk in unity and relationship with Christ. All right. So we talked about some things that we do struggle with. Uh, the first week we talked about generational iniquity. Generational healing was our approach. Because God's word says he visits the, third, the generations of the third, the iniquities of the generations of the third to fourth generation. And so then he also said, so that what that means is he, he, doesn't, he doesn't just put punishment on you. He's saying he's coming alongside and he's loving you. He's visiting you there. He's loving you and he's wondering, hey, are you going to overcome those things that your grandfather or your grandfather couldn't overcome? Because I really want to bless you because... I've got thousands of blessings for thousands of generations if we can overcome this thing. And so we, we, we struggle with those things for the third and fourth generations of our family. But it's also a church family. The, the church you came from, the, the denomination you came from, uh, the fact that we're Gentiles as well, where we come from. Like there's a lot to it that we're actually having to overcome. That's why we need Christ. And then we talk about familiar strongholds. There's these, there are these strongholds, these things that... They, literally unknowingly control us. We don't realize that we think, oh, no, I'm good, bro. No, you're oppressed, and you don't know it. You've learned how to live a life of oppression and look like you're healthy, but you are not healthy. And when, the, when you get into a healthy environment, your toxicity gets exposed, and that's where you start to get really frustrated in the environment that you're in. Sound familiar? Well, it's a familiar stronghold. So we talked about that, and we're going to touch on both of these today. But then we're leading to a freedom. You're free to give. You become free to give the more you become your true self. Because your true self is actually called to walk with Christ and live like Christ and conform to the image of Christ and extend the kingdom of Christ. And so there's a lot of giving involved. Number one is this. you got to forgive. I'm sorry, you got to think. you got to have thanksgiving. Number one is thanksgiving. Like, I've got to learn how to just be thankful for anything in my life that I get to have because ultimately it all comes from God anyway. And I realize, too, as Psalm 104 says, I enter his gates with thanksgiving. Like, in order to get into the presence, towards the presence of God, I have to live with thanksgiving. So I enter his gates with thanksgiving. It's going to work one day. And his courts with praise. It says, be thankful to him. Bless his name. So I've got to live with thanksgiving if I always want to get into his presence. John 10, 1, 7 says this. I tell you the truth. Anyone who sneaks over the wall of a sheepfold, whoever tries to get to God his own way, rather than going through the gate, must surely be a thief and a robber. Like, I gotta, I gotta be thankful in order to get through the gate. But if I walk around, I follow Jesus, like, with a mug on my face, I'm always upset, like, ah, oh, something's wrong. I'll miss that. I'll miss that. Nobody, no believers do that, right? Grumbling, <laughs> like, are you really walking with Jesus, bro? Like, did you even meet Jesus in, in the morning or at night? Did you even invite Jesus into your day? Because the above looks like no. So Thanksgiving says, man, I'm entering the gates. I'm not doing this life with Christ. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying I confess Christ and I'm living another life. I'm not, I'm not mad all the time. I'm not angry. And if I am, I need to 
getting a little closer to Christ because I'm looking more like a thief and a robber who's trying to climb over to get to Christ my own way. <laughs> Let me be thankful. The one who enters through the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The, key, the gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep recognize his voice. Can I get this? Because I've learned to be thankful, and I've learned to enter into his gate where his presence is, and I've learned to just do life with him so that I can cultivate more thanksgiving, because it's not natural. You have to cultivate. You've got to choose some thanksgiving. Literally, I, I spent a season of my time learning every day to thank God for the things that were going on in my current situation, my current life, and my past life that caused a lot of trauma and pain. There is something to be thankful for because I was still alive. Thankful for the direction that God was taking me, even though I didn't fully understand it. I had to cultivate that thing because it was just a seed from God waiting to be dug in and planted and tended to. But that's my responsibility because it's my garden of life. In the same way, it's your responsibility to get uh, to get into his presence and to hear his voice. There's got to be some thanksgiving. Because if I'm walking around grumbling and upset and sad and wondering if, if, if what was me, then he can't get to you because you got your own boarding. You got your own voice speaking so loud. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thanksgiving is always outward. It's a giving thanks. A giving thanks. So, so we recognize his voice that way. He calls his sheep, his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. And after he gathers, he gathers his own flock, he walks ahead of them, and they follow him because they know his voice. Like, I, know where he's going. I don't know where he's going, but I know where he's going because I follow him. I know he's going to a safe place because he is my safe place. I can learn to follow him even when I want to do this because of this situation and what they did to me, but they don't know. But I'm going to follow him instead. I want to be thankful. Thank you. Thank you for that first thank you. Thank you for that first thank you. So much wisdom comes about in situations and circumstances and relationships and scenarios and finances and you name it. Whenever I learn to cultivate a heart of thanksgiving because God can say that might be the situation, but it's not the fullness of it. It's not the destination. You, you somebody needs to be glad about that right there. Those are the things that God will actually allow to see how you're going to take that faith to see if you're going to lean into Him more and be able to cultivate a heart of gratitude and thanksgiving so that He can bear even greater fruit on the other side. How many know to grow something, they've got to be some spanky compost on it? So many people are focused on the compost rather than the growth that comes after it. Thanksgiving creates the growth. All right, at least we're together now. But they won't follow a stranger's voice. They won't follow a stranger. They will run from him because they don't know his voice. Or do they? Or, or do they? Because whenever the compost hits, the traumatic situation hits, the things that I don't agree with because that doesn't, confront, that doesn't line up with what I wanted, all of a sudden I start listening to another voice. Wait a minute, that doesn't sound like Christ, but I don't care. This, is what I, I, this agrees with me right now. Here's my truth. Hmm. We got a world of people saying my truth. Your truth is going to get you into trouble. Well, they will run and say, they will run from him because they don't know his voice. Those who heard Jesus use this illustration didn't understand what he meant, so he explained it to them. He says, I tell you the truth, I'm the gate. I'm the gate. For the sheep. I'm the one. You enter into me with thanksgiving. You walk with me with thanksgiving. I can I can listen and I can talk and you will listen. You will hear my voice because you're full of thanksgiving. Because what comes in always comes out. 
tribulations, and I also rejoice in my triumphs. No matter if it's going good or it's going bad, I'm rejoicing because God is doing something in me, and it's really not about me. Oftentimes, the things that God is doing in me is to get me out of me so more of His glory can come in, and I can glorify the Father. We're spiritual people called to be spiritual people under God's leadership. And that's it. We're here to glorify the Father according to His Word, His will. And we have to overcome according to His ways so that we can become our true, designed, created self in Him, letting go of the, the, the toxicity and the trouble and the corruption so that we can reveal the Father to the whole world. That's, our, that's it. So we can settle that right there, then we can start to learn Thanksgiving, and we can start to understand John 10 10. John 10 10 says this, the peace purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. So many of us are trying to get the rich and satisfying life. Get, we're trying to get the rich and satisfying life, living our own way inadvertently following the stranger's voice. Because we're doing things that are not aligned with the will of God, and instead, we're, and we're trying to get the rich and satisfied life. I'm trying to just live my truth. I just want to be happy. Nobody promised you that. You're satisfied in living richly because you're following the voice of the shepherd. And the shepherd always protects his sheep. Thy rod and thy staff protect me. And when I get that, I trust that I can be thankful in all things. I don't know where we're going. It looks like a cliff ahead, but I'm so thankful because I've got the good shepherd. And no matter what, when it looks like that, he will protect me because that's his word. That's his principle. Sounds ridiculous, but that's faith. And God will never lead you to a place to hurt you. He will lead you to a place to get you out of you so that he can glorify the Father every time. Number two is this. Once we learn thanksgiving, we also have to learn forgiveness. Forgiving. Forgiveness. There's another giving. I don't know. I don't like that. Thanks even okay. Now you want to forgive, but you don't know what they did. He does. It's his principle. And he knows what he wants to do on the other side of it once you start to practice the forgiveness. Matthew 6 and 8 through 8 through 15, Jesus was teaching disciples how to pray. In this manner that we're praying. Our Father in heaven, your name is holy, hallowed be thy name, set apart. None are like you, Father. None. We're exalting the name of the Father, but not just his name. We're exalting him. And we're most, most importantly have to exalt it here and here so we can even be thanks, thankful. And then once we're thankful, we, we learn to exalt his name in our life. Hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Notice he's, notice he's trying to combat because so many times we're worried about our kingdom and our will. And most of our frustrations and struggle with thanksgiving and thankfulness is my will is not being done. And I'm upset about it. And you want me to be thankful? Sure. Your will, your kingdom. My kingdom's getting messed up and you want me to think about Do you know what they did to my kingdom? my life, you know what they did to me, to my, but he says, give us this day our daily bread. He's, he 
teaching us to just, whatever it is you have for me today, Lord, that's what I need, that's what I want, that's what's going to sustain me, and that's what I need to have my focus be thankful for, because I know you are going to sustain me tomorrow. You did it with the children in the wilderness with manna, and they were getting disobedient towards you, and you still did it. So his character and nature is always true and always consistent. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So I can trust his character. Okay, just with the bread that you have for me today, I'm going to learn to be thankful. And then he says, and forgive us our, our debts. Forgive us as we, in the same way, we forgive our debts. So literally, he's teaching us a, a, a systematic prayer so we understand. It says, listen, how would you like for your Father in heaven to forgive you? Let me think about that. Well, it's evidence in how you forgive one another. Like you're saying, Lord, they're going to have to earn my forgiveness. So I guess he's saying, I guess you, you want to earn my forgiveness? Well, forgiveness is, is grace. And he want, like you, you've got this bank account full of forgiveness just waiting. It has your name all over it and your account, your DNA, your blood type. And no one can get into your forgiveness bank account. The only thing that keeps it from flooding over you is your unwillingness to forgive others. So when he says you've been forgiven, you haven't forgiven, you just haven't received it because you've got a blockage because of your own forgiveness. Unforgiveness. You see it? So we have to be thankful for all that he's done and who he is and what he will do even when it doesn't work out for our kingdom according to our will. And we also have to forgive no matter what and no matter who because it's not about our kingdom and our will, but it's all about him. He's cultivating this heart of discipleship, servanthood. He's cultivating this heart of a saint that is built and created to minister to him by ministering through others and to others. Yours is the kingdom, the kingdom and the power of the glory. And then he, he oh, and then do not lead us into temptation. Notice that right under forgiveness. Forgive us as we forgive others. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. You know why? Because under forgiveness is an open door for the tormentor and the temptation, the evil one, Satan, to come into our lives. Give us false narratives because you're never going to hear the truth of the, of the shepherd whenever you're living in unforgiveness. You're always hearing a stranger's voice, and that stranger loves to agree with them. Oh, you just need to do this, you just did that, and, and well, yeah, yeah, I like that. That feels really good. And what ends up happening, you're the one that's carrying all that unforgiveness, and it's got to come out somewhere, and it looks like sin. What he's saying is, Lord, just help me and leave me away from all the temptations of life. And here's the pathway is to forgive no matter what. Now, forgiveness does not mean be a doorstep, be a doormat. It doesn't mean you just put yourself right back in that situation, even if they haven't changed and there's no, no repentance and there's no correction in their life. No. No, it doesn't mean that. But if they're starting to change, and they're repenting, and there's a fruit of that, that change, I'm going to give them a chance because they're my brother or sister in Christ or whoever. But forgiveness releases you from the problem. It says, God, I am not in control. You are in control. It's a, because here's what happens is you stay connected to that person and that trauma for as long as you're holding unforgiveness. You can't let go of it. And it's always guiding your decisions. Even when you're not 
You're not purposely thinking about it or them. It is controlling your decisions, which creates a defense mechanism, which furthers that false self that you have. I'm trying to break off some chains today. It says, continuing on, for if you forgive the men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. It's like, he's just, I'm trying to make it really plain and simple, simple is what he's saying. In Matthew 18, 21, 35, it says, Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Here it is. Up to seven times, you know, oh. Seven times 70. And it's not about the 490. He's saying all the time. And then he starts to break down what the kingdom of God looks like. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is it's like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one servant was brought to him who owed him 10,000 pounds. That's a lot of money. That's more than a lifetime worth of wages. But as he was not able to pay. His master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and that payment be made. That's pretty rough. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, oh wait, so at that point, sorry, I'm going to add this, at that point, whenever, whenever the, the master says, we're going to sell your wife, your kids, your house, everything, your dog, even that your car, we're going to sell it all so you can pay me back. He begged him, he started to worship, he said, listen, I beg you, please don't do this. Please have mercy on me. So the master said, hey, listen, all right, no problem. I'm going to actually forgive that. I'm going to have mercy on you. And he released him without having to pay the debt back. So the servant goes and he finds one of his servants, someone who owes him some money. And it was much less, it was like 10 denarii, and it's about several months worth of wages. And he... And he starts to choke him, like, you owe me money, you better give me my money back. Where my money is. He goes, and he throws him in prison for the little bit that this other servant owed him. And when the master found out, he called him, said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all of his due. This is what unforgiveness does. Like it just draws torture and chaos into our life. Like it just starts to overcome us and oppress us. Like all of a sudden I can't even see things clearly. I can't understand life clearly because I'm so in, enveloped in this unforgiveness and chaos and I'm tortured by it. So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespass. Like if, if you're dealing and feeling tortured in life and oppressed, it, it's probably due to your own, own unforgiveness, which is oftentimes for an, an unthankfulness for all that God has done. And then physically, what this does to us, it causes stress, which is actually the cause of the five leading killers of natural, we call it natural 
No, it's stress. <clears throat> like you're walking around in unforgiveness towards people trying to overcome it in other ways rather than just coming and doing it God's way. Stress. There's ulcers, nervous disorders, headaches, high blood pressure, skin issues. Like I got a rash all the time. Why are you so stressed? I don't know. Everybody's just not doing it. And so-and-so did this. You mean unforgiveness? And a lack of thankfulness? That's why you got it. And on and on. Anxiety is just we were never designated to be designed rather to be repositories of unforgiveness. This repository, this holding on to unforgiveness is causing anxieties and stresses that can be otherwise avoided. And emotionally, outbursts of anger, mood swings, personality changes. Don't, don't start thinking about anybody else. No elbow, I saw an elbow. He's trying to hide it behind this. Clinical de uh, definition of depression is anger towards it turned inward. Like, I'm just depressed. Well, who are you angry at? And for how long have you been angry? And for how long have you been harboring that anger to the point where it wore your emotions down, so now you're depressed? And so when you get up, you say, I'm going to get up and go do X today. Your emotions say, you can, but we're not. And you're literally paralyzed because of the anger, the resentment, the bitterness that has developed over an unwillingness to have a conversation and to release some forgiveness to someone who may or may not have offended you depending on your understanding of the situation. And so some may need medicine for a time, but I'm telling you we are an over-medicated society unwilling to do what God says. Until I was willing to do the will of God and start a, a path, a journey of forgiving and receiving forgiveness and asking for forgiveness, man, I had to medicate. But whenever I stopped, and I'm telling you, this is where a small group came in at the church I was in and all, that small group started to surround me. I was like, I didn't need this stuff anymore. It changed my thinking because it changed spiritually inside the way I saw things and handled things and dealt with things, and I started to become thankful, and I started to become very forgiving, and I started to ask for forgiveness. I would reach out to people that I had no idea how to get them, I'd find them on the internet. Please forgive me for all of this stuff that I did. I needed that to be set free. Spiritually, God always loves you, and you're truly saved, if you're truly saved, you're saved, but God will only give you as much grace and mercy as you're willing to give away. And we're here to be rivers of grace and mercy, but we can only we, we can only be a river of grace and mercy if we're not trying to be a dam of judgment. Because when we're walking in unforgiveness, we have judgment towards someone, and we're saying, you know what, God, I've got this. I don't need you. I can hold judgment against this person. I will vindicate me. When God is saying, I will vindicate you, forgive them, bless them, and release them to me so you can go on, I can bless you, and I will discipline them. But we don't call down judgment on somebody thinking that we are Lord. And in fact, when you start to truly forgive somebody for what they've done to you, you start to say, Lord, please have mercy on them. Because I've done some things to other people, and you had mercy on me too. Ooh, the Lord loves a compassionate heart. He can do some things at his fertile ground. He can take that compost, and he'll build some, he'll, he'll, he'll grow some stuff in that. And some people have been in 
church or following the Lord since childhood don't understand how much more thankful they should be. They start to carry on this arrogance and attitude of, well, I haven't done as much as they have. I've, I've, been, I've been following the Lord since I was a child. Well, good for you. What you should understand is God has protected you for that much longer than he has others because he forgave you in advance. So you should be even more celebratory in your serving and worshiping and giving. Not haughty, but humble. All of the things that God saved me from. Thank God that you led me. Your spirit led me to Christ early. And I, I would I receive that forgiveness. And I just want to give that away and celebrate you even more. There should be more of an outburst of God's presence in your life. Somewhere along the way, we can be all righteous. Yes, I have been sin free for 30 decades. Three decades. I'm very good. Forgiveness is not just from, it's also towards. Like you're not just forgiving from something, from some things in the past. You're also forgiven from things that will happen in the past. Meaning you're also protected from those things because it's his grace that started to move things out of your way that were designed for you. But because of God's grace, it wasn't you and your will overcoming those things. It was the will provided by grace. So forgiveness is not only redeem you from the past sin, it's made a way for you. And for so for those thankful and forgiving people who understand that everything they get to have is from God and due to the favor of God, the last one comes really easy. And that is generous giving. One who knows that he has been forgiven of much and is thankful. Easy, easily giving thanks for every situation and forgiveness for everyone, they realize even what I have is not even mine. So it's easy for me to give away. Second Corinthians 9, 6, and 8, Paul writes to this to the church in Corinth. says, but this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Oh, you want to give a little, you're only going to give a little back. But he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Says, so let each one give. Let each one give as he purposes. Notice he doesn't say, if you want to give, give. No, he says, let each one give. Notice he doesn't say it's optional. If you'd like to learn this thing of giving, you can. If you don't want to, don't worry about it. You don't have to. No, he says, let each one give. Notice he doesn't say, well, let the rich give while the poor can just kind of stay poor in your mind. Notice he didn't, you just fill in the blank. But each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly, like, oh, goodness, I want my money. <laughs> Some of you are in the middle of worship and they put those, those tithing opportunities, like, oh, it's good. Did you know that tithing and offering is worship? church, and they would pass the plate, my step-grandfather passed the plate, one morning this guy, he hated it, he hated it, and he just got it, the Holy Spirit got it in his heart, and he was like, ah, oh, okay, and he pulled out some money, put it back in his pocket, pulled out some money, pulled it back in his pocket, and he pulled out a 50, it was a 50 every time, he said, oh, hey. <laughs> every time my step-grandfather told me that, I would laugh, he would laugh, he would laugh, that's what we do, isn't it? When we're, when we're unthankful for all 
And we also have this generational iniquity of bondage within our life that comes from the 1800s, from the Depression era. The families that fought so hard to get us where we, where we are, and they didn't have much, but they probably didn't have much to give or didn't see the understanding because of the spirit of poverty that was on their lives. And now we're dealing with that and wrestling with that. And God is saying, will this be the generation that breaks the spirit of poverty over their life so I can bless them? And God is able. He's able. It doesn't say he might be able to. God is able to make all grace abound towards you that you always have an all sufficiency, not in some things, but in all things. Has a lot to do with your sowing, though. May have an abundance for every good work. Notice it says, grudging, not grudgingly or of necessity for God's love. A cheerful giver. What he's saying is here, it's not about don't wait for a need for you in order for you to give. No, you give because there's opportunity to give. Oh, what do you need, brother? What's the church going to need? Nothing. God is asking you because you need to, to seek an opportunity to give so that He can bless you. Amen. You know who says that? People have want to have control. All sufficiency in all things, they have an abundance for every good work. Well, there's already plenty of money for the good work because people have already given because they catch the heart of God. They're thankful. They forgive. They're generous because they give at any opportunity, not waiting on a need. So there's always money. When God says there's a need, we're going to take over that. We're going to do this. We're going to further the kingdom. We're going to do this next thing. There's always abundance because God's people catch his heart. It's about his kingdom and his will and not our kingdom and our will. Man, I'm just amen. I love how Jesus amens himself every once in a while. He's like, he's like crying in his crowd, crying in his crowd. He's like, amen, amen. He's probably like, yeah, good job, Jesus. Good word, good word. And I, and I think more people want to be generous. They want to give. Unfortunately, because of this poverty mentality and the, the temptations and the pressures from the culture of. And, and, the, and it's evidenced by the $1 trillion of debt, credit card debt in America that we just don't steward well what God has given us in order to be positioned for the opportunity of giving. Like we don't, we don't manage finances because we don't realize they're from Him and they're actually for Him and we steward them well. He will cause them to grow. And He gives us a pattern. And I want to give you a place where you can go. Here's where I'll go. Everydollar.com. I find I use hit their percentages and I follow this pace so I can properly steward his money so I'm ready to give at any time. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you may always, all sufficient. 2 Corinthians 9, 25 says, Now he may he who supplies seed to the sower, now he's talking about stewardship, and bread for food, supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruit of your righteousness. Here's what he's saying right here. Listen, there is seed that turns into more seed once it's planted, so you have an abundance. However, people are taking the seed and eating pistachios when they should be planted instead of just eating the bread. And now we're trying to eat seed and plant bread, and bread's not made to grow. 
make more bread out of so that you can have more sustenance and I can sustain you better. But there's going to be more to invest at the same time so that when I speak, not only are you practicing the very principles of returning what belongs to me, but when I speak, you're able to give and you're able to give it with joy. While you are enriched in everything, but for all liberality, which causes thanksgiving, look at it. So here's the cycle. Thanksgiving, when I cultivate a heart of thanksgiving, and I learn the practice of just forgiving. I'm giving it in advance. You don't deserve it. I'm giving it anyway because he gave it to me when I didn't deserve it. And because I'm so grateful, and because I'm so thankful, when an opportunity, every opportunity comes about, I'm learning to be generous. Here's what Paul just said, in that your generous giving creates more ministry opportunities for people who are broken, bruised, who have broken hearted, who are in bondages, who have physical issues, who have emotional issues. By the way, the five ministries of Jesus, and that's what we're called to walk out, continuing his ministry, his, his ministry working through us. And here's how Paul says to do it. So when generous giving is, is, is lived out, now more people come into the kingdom, more people become thankful, more people overcome unforgiveness, more people become generous, and the kingdom of God circles on and on and on and it expands. He says, you cheated me 
and he says, would you return 10% to me so that I can have your heart? God doesn't need your tithe. Your tithe. He wants your heart. You need the tithe so he can have your heart. You need the tithe so the curse will be off of your life. You're under a curse for your whole nation has been cheating me. Bring all the tithes into the store and the places you're getting fed. So there will be enough food in my temple for what? For other people who have broken hearts, emotional wounds, who are oppressed, who need to get to know the gospel, need to go to the God of the gospel, who need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. That's what, that's what happens with the tithe and the altar. If you do, says the Lord of Heaven's army, here's what you're trying to get. I will open up the windows of heaven for you, and I, God, will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Try it, he says. I bet you won't. Nah. Try. Test me. That's what God says. This is the one place you can test him. Your crops will be abundant. Your business will get will have overflow. Your wisdom in the occupation in which I planted you to be an influence for me, you will gain and you will have influence in your employer's life, your employee's life, the people are coming under you. You will call the increase in the place in which I planted. It will bloom because of you, because of your obedience. And I will provide favor in that manner. Oh, for I will guard them, guard them from the insects and the disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they are ripe. But if you ever worked and worked for something and you're like, I'm going to do this, I got this, I got this on my own. I'm not tithing because I need that money to be for this business or grow this thing and start this thing. And just when you're about to get good, everything just falls apart. You didn't have the blessing on it. Your will.
But those who do evil get rich, and those who, who dare God punish them suffer no harm. I'm going to end right there. David said the same thing. He's like, why? What's the point, Lord? What? You bless all these people. They don't follow your ways. Psalm 73, go check it out. And then he walks into the temple, and God gives him wisdom and insight on the, on the destination of their life. And he goes, oh, I don't want that. God has principles in place to bless you, not to force you. There's things that he's saying, hey, would you just trust me, test me now in this, and watch me do an amazing work. There's problems you're trying to solve in and of yourself and on your own, but I've already got the resource and the answer for it. Would you make way? And I'm asking you today, would you make way? Because I'm telling you here in this house, we've got a lot of mission and a lot of vision there's a lot of things for us to accomplish in a short amount of time. And guess what? It requires us being obedient to the Lord to have his blessing because it's not about our will. It's not about our kingdom. It's all about his. And he's saying, hey, if this is your house, would you bring the tithes and offerings into the storehouse in which he's called you? The Holy Spirit has led you. And would you plant yourself? And would you stop saying what use is it to serve the Lord? Would you stop saying, why should I even try to show that I'm thankful? is being forgiven. Come on. I'm leaving you now. Because I promise you God will bless you beyond your understanding and it's his promise so I can stand on it confidently. We stand up because I want to pray for you. Because I know it's tough. I know it's challenging. And I'm trying to take weight off of you and not put it on you. I promise you. When you start walking this thing out, you start doing it with consistency, and you let it be in his time frame, I promise you, I promise you, I promise you, your life will be all the more better and better than you've ever experienced. Father, we thank you for grace, and we thank you for mercy. Thank you that you don't judge us in this life, but you lead us and guide us into all truth. Thank you for the mercy and the, the avoidance of things we didn't even know that were coming our way, but you, you had grace and mercy upon us, and that abounds, Lord. And we just thank you for that. We thank you for every opportunity, every struggle, every change, every trial, every difficulty. Lord, we just forgive as an act of faith right now. The person that's on your mind that you need to forgive, I just want you to declare right now, I forgive so-and-so for making me feel such and such. I don't like it, but Lord, I give them to you. And you may have to do that a thousand and three hundred times, but I'm telling you, by faith is where it starts, and by faith is where it ends. So I forgive, and I bless, and I hand it to you, Lord. And Lord, I, I believe, but help my unbelief. Lord, help me with stewardship practices to position me to be able to give when you say give, and return back what belongs to you in advance.